Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Okay, so in July 2010, Skylight, the story you're in, uh, hosted a launch party for the original edition of We're Getting On, a limited edition novella with a seat embedded cover, and that was brilliant. Brilliant, wasn't that great? I was like, wow, you know? The event was also the kickoff of the author's book tour entirely by bicycle, bicycle people who went to Ciclavia and got nothing. <laughs> James, uh, it took him, which took him more than 1,000 miles from LA to Seattle, um, and which the documentary chronicles, which will be showing next door. So we're very happy to have him back. Please welcome James Kalen. Hi guys, I know all of you, and you guys know the entire story of the tour, but um, I'm really grateful, especially for everybody who came down. Uh, for this event, for the screening, Miles and I obviously took off. Literally, we were like we were standing here, and Miles was standing up there filming almost 20, well, 20 months ago. Like it's almost two years, which is like 22 months ago. And uh, we've been working. Hi, Leah. Hi. Um, and uh, if Blessing can't be here, at least her sister can. <laughs> um, and. Uh, We've been working. We've been working for for that entire time since since uh, since the tour ended to try and get this film ready. And uh, United Film Festival was grateful enough to. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, grateful enough to to screen the film for us, and Skylight was grateful enough to. Uh, or we were very grateful to Skylight for offering this venue up again, so we could re-release the book. There's a new edition of the book, which. Some of you have seen, some of you haven't. I think it's rad, it's small. Marissa, who's sitting in the front row, did the illustration and the block cut that was then, that became the, the cover and also the, uh, the poster for the film. Um, but since most of you guys know we're getting on pretty well, or at least are supposed to, because you're supposed to have bought and read, read it two years ago, um, I'm gonna, I'm going to read something new. I'm reading from a new novel that I've been working on for almost four years that's almost done um, and I'm excited about. It's also hopefully a film soon. I just finished the first draft of the screenplay for it. So, And since we're now figured out how to make films, perhaps we'll actually get it done. Um, so the what I'm reading from is a, a short novel called Brute. Um, it is about a. It's told from the perspective of a journalist who is, uh, who grew up with a kid who's a mixed martial arts fighter, 
and they've been good friends and they've gone through some interesting times. Um, and the book is set on the weekend where the fighter is making his televised debut. He's, he's premiering on the undercard for the UFC. It's, the UFC's never named in the book, but a big, big fight. And the journalist is having an affair with his friends, the, with the fighter's girlfriend. And no one knows. Um, so, what I'm going to I'm going to read I'm going to read two passages two passages from the book. Um, the first of which is the night before the fight, and Stan, who is the fighter, is uh, is in his room preparing for preparing. It's but they've just left the weigh-ins, and now the narrator is out, and you'll see who he runs into. Um, and it starts out with his uh, friend Tom and they're friends from college, and Tom lives in Reno, where the book takes place. The bar at the Hackamore, uh, where Tom had taken refuge, had circular brass rim port windows set into its warm-eaten paneling so that you could see the bar girl's legs bathed in red light as they scurried from customer to customer, pouring bourbon and ringing the ship's bell when the good tips came in. The country singer on stage, Rowdy Kate, didn't take her own songwriting too seriously, but did a version of Return of the Grievous Angel with a sexual energy as opaque as milk. Graham Parsons might not have recognized his song beneath all that heavy breathing, but he would have appreciated it. Tom had a hemispherical booth in the corner. It was upholstered in mahogany leather and a bit sticky to the touch. Catherine, based on Marissa Rizel, who's sitting in the front porch, the front, the front row. This is fun. Uh, Catherine was dancing to the stage with a few men she'd known in school. I didn't know how Tom felt about this, and I didn't ask. I like her, I said instead. Catherine, said Tom. Catherine with a Y. He tapped the table with the tip of his middle finger. She's fantastic. A good painter. He took a healthful drink of bourbon, cracked his knuckles, and looked at his hands. Do you ever talk to Kelly, I asked. Oh, said Tom. I try. I think she put a block up on my number. Can't blame her. Her brother sent me a letter suggesting if I came back to Bozeman for Christmas, he'd make sure I got my foot caught in a bear trap. Did you ever buy that ring? No, he said, looking up at the, at the ceiling. I sure didn't. Charlie, I put a security deposit on, the tra on a track home in Reno instead. What on earth am I going to do? He tried to laugh. Kelly wasn't exciting, but excitement has its costs, has its travails. You might know that. He held up his glass and we toasted our travails. And where's yours, he asked. Where's the great Angela Parker? If we're going to keep celebrating these mistakes, let's do it together, damn it. It's good to see you. Angela arrived an hour later in a white coat whose hem hung lower than her dress. She stood before the table untying the white, sta the white sash that kept the jacket cinched. It's windy out there, she said. They call these September winds the winds of heaven, Tom said. They do not, said Catherine, who had rejoined us, perspiring still from the dance floor. Angela sat down on the booth bench and slid over until her leg touched mine. I nudged my drink toward her. I haven't eaten all day, she said. Eat the ice, I said. It'll keep the fever down, keep you from going mad. How'd you know, said Angela. I put the back of my hand to her forehead. Catherine looked concerned. Is she feeling well, she asked. Of course not, I said, but she's fine. Charles talks about you all the time, Tom, Angela said. He said, you've got, he said you should have gotten the Paris Review job instead of Gorovich, or is Gorovich the one who gave it up? They'll never publish us, said Tom, laughing, so who gives a damn? Don't be too sure, I said. Have you ever seen a black girl in a country bar, Catherine asked. Angela smiled. Where'd you meet Tom? That's a good question, said Tom. I don't remember. He turned to Catherine. Where'd we meet? 
At the MFA thesis show, said Catherine. That's right, said Tom. Terrible paintings, but a good party. What are you doing in Reno, asked Angela. I grew up here, said Catherine. And you're a professor, Tom? I think they call me a lecturer, he said. What do they call you? I'm effectively a domestic, said Angela. Let's not talk about Sacramento, said Tom. We all know it doesn't deserve to be the capital. Around midnight, the bar really began to fill. It was a young crowd. Some people Catherine knew joined us at the table, and I lit the cigar Barry purchased for me. At first, Angela wouldn't smoke, but finally she took it and sat leaning against me, holding it like an enormous cigarette. It's strange, isn't it, she said. We just pick right back up. By two, we were all quite drunk. Tom was singing My Darling Clementine to a girl named Clementine, who sat on a chair beside the table. Catherine was slapping him in the face. Not so hard that it left a mark, but loud enough that you could hear the impact and over and over again. Angela wore a coat. She had both her feet on the cushion, her legs bent, and her right leg under her as if she were sitting on a blanket in the grass. Her head lay against my arm. She rested her glass on the skirt of her dress and it left a ring of condensation on the fabric. When she lifted it once, to drink, I wiped the water away. Tom got up from the table and I danced for the girl he'd been serenading. I'm sorry, <laughs> he danced for the girl he'd been serenading. Catherine was clapping. At 3 a.m., I tried to enter Fitzgerald's casino carrying Angela on my back, but the security guard told me, in certain terms, that I had to put her down. Why can't I carry her if I want to, I asked. She's a lovely girl, isn't she? I changed shoes just for the occasion, Angela told the guard. Both of you will have to walk out of here on your feet. That doesn't seem fair, Angela said. I put her down and we began to walk four-legged and unstably into, into the casino. There was a new red truck on a dais in the middle of the floor surrounded by velvet ropes. By playing something or other, you could win it. Let's win that truck, said Angela. She took hold of my hand. I looked around for some attendant. A waitress passed by us with an empty tray. How, I asked her, do I win this truck? Gambling, the waitress said. I turned to Angela. Gambling. She pulled me toward a, a wall of slot machines and sat down on the stool whose post was secured with four bolts to the floor. She spread her knees. I stepped between them and kissed her. With my eyes closed, I felt that I was kissing her in the back of some dark coach hauled by a horse down a rough road. I opened my eyes and said, if I don't win you that truck, I'll be sick. How much will it cost? Angela wiped her lips with the back of her hand. $600, I said, everything I have. That's a shame, she said in a bright whisper. When she was drunk, her voice raised most of an octave as if she were in a constant state of pleasant surprise. She put her hands on my face and I kissed her again. What the hell are we going to do? About the truck, I asked. Or about the truck, she asked. My God, I said, of course. Angela wanted to drive under the Reno Arch, so we took a cab. I sat behind the driver. Angela spread her jacket over her like a blanket and laid her head in my lap. I ran the back of my fingers along her neck and I could feel the heat of her breath on my thigh. Were you at a show, the driver asked when we pulled away from the curb. Were we at a show, I asked Angela. She tucked her legs closer to her chest and pressed her cheek against my leg. I went a wonderful show, a ballet. Oh, I miss ballet. I'd like to sign this lady up for ballet lessons, I said to the driver. Take us to a studio. It was almost four in the morning. It's our honeymoon, said Angela. This is a good town, said the driver. I'm glad you came. What have you done so far? Oh, we've seen everything, Angela said. We took a horse and carriage ride along the Truckee. None of this is true. Where are you two from? Berlin, I said, for some reason. Charles here is a great rider, said Angela, and he just loves Berlin. You like it too, I said. Quite. What's the river there? The Rhone? The Rhine, dear. Of course, the Rhine. What do you write about, the driver asked. Love, mostly. Romance novels? 
Oh, absolutely, I said. <laughs> they're very provocative, said Angela. All his male characters are based on him, and they're all in love with women based on me. When we got out of the cab in front of the Silver Legacy, Angela had difficulty standing. I held her arm with both hands walking through the sliding doors. We'll stay in your room because we can't go to mine, she whispered. We passed the women's restroom and she veered toward it, walking charily in her thin heels. I leaned against a slot machine and listened to the noise of the casino. The din was not unlike a jungle, and if you thought of the sirens on the slot machines as macaws or macaques, it was a pleasant place to sit. I'd once discussed with a friend, Tom perhaps, whether or not the boatman who ferries Siddhartha across the river might have reached enlightenment, enlightenment had he been standing on a freeway overpass in Los Angeles. The answer should be yes, and if it is, the world is an astounding place despite the pressures of evolution. After Angela had been gone 10 minutes, I paid a waitress $20 to check the restroom and she hurried out a few moments later, holding still the bill I'd given her. She put the money in my hand and told me there was a girl in a white jacket lying on the floor. If I wanted to retrieve her, she'd watch the entrance. Running into the bathroom, I slipped and fell onto my hip. From that station, I could see Angela clearly, lying with her eyes closed and her hands in the position of prayer beneath her left ear. I stood and I tried to open her door, but she'd latched it and the bolt, as I shook the door, rattled in its seat. Angela, I yelled, can you sit up? She made no response. Angela, I yelled again, and the waitress looked in to ask if I wanted the floor manager, for she was certain he could get an attendant to unfasten the hinges. I knelt down and took hold of Angela's leg, but when I shook and pulled it, when her hip slid across the tile, she retained her shape and dragged her out of the stall. Her dress hiked up during the extrication, and thinking some security guard would at any moment discover us, I pulled down her skirt and refolded her jacket over her legs, still exhibiting no auguries of consciousness. Even when I kissed her cheek, I picked her up in my arms and stumbling toward the door, past the startled cocktail waitress, I had the absurd notion I was conveying my bride across the threshold of our new home. I didn't know what to do with her, so I carried her to the coffee shop where I had passed the morning and laid her down in a booth. The manager saw me and walked over briskly, talking into a wireless headset like a stockbroker. Do you need an ambulance? He asked, but I waved him away. Can't you just see she's had a long day, I cried, taking a full glass of water from the unbussed table beside our booth and pouring a little water onto my napkin. I put the, com the compress against Angela's forehead, and for the first time in those excruciating minutes, she smiled. Stan, she said. Get me a glass of juice. I'm so sorry about everything. It's Charles, Angela. It's Charles. Oh, no, she said. Oh, no, it can't be. He'll kill us both. She hadn't opened her eyes. Call him on my phone. I'll tell him. You'll tell him what, Angela? You'll tell him what? You'd be miserable with me, she said. But if he loses tomorrow, I'll leave him. I dialed Stan and set Angela's phone against her ear. She smiled a sad, beatific smile, and I waited for him to answer. Stan, she said. Stan, I fainted. Very slowly, she continued. I didn't eat all day, so I got all dressed up and I came downstairs for a salad. I couldn't listen anymore, so I walked out of the restaurant. This next section takes place at the end of the book. The next, this is after the fight has occurred. And Tom, or Charles goes to visit Tom uh, before, he, before he flies off. And uh, he's been in a fight himself and has a fairly bloody face. Oh, and Catherine, Tom pissed Catherine off and she's left him also. At least temporarily, but perhaps permanently. When I got to Tom's, he was sitting on his porch, 
Around its border was a white balustrade flanking the deck were three flower beds full of white geraniums. The lawn looked recently mown. The house itself was painted gray and the eaves a dark blue. In a circle of river rock on the grass stood a sapling buoyed by a wooden stake. I parked on the street and got out of the car. Do you like what I've done with the place? Tom asked as I came up the walk. It's a rental. I haven't done a thing. How are you? I asked. He got a good look at my face. A lot better than you. Cleaned the Springfield this morning and went into town to get some cartridges. I've never hunted, I said. Well, we'll go eat some hunted meat. That'll get you in the mood. We went into the house and I sat down at the kitchen table. Tom took his shirt off and tied a red bandana around his head. He always cooked shirtless and had a scar from a grease burn on his chest. A carton of large brown eggs sat on the counter. Two Nilgai steaks defrosted on a rack by the sink. Nilgai is the largest member of the antelope family, Tom explained, a native to India. A preserve in Texas where a meat had come from care of his father, Bruce McCafferty, keeps the largest wild stock in the world. When you go home, he asked. Tonight, I think, unless I have some reason to cancel my flight. We won't be back till after dark. Have a beer from the fridge if it'll cheer you up. There were six big bottles of an Imperial IPA from Colorado on the bottom shelf. This is a serious ale, I said. It has to stand up to nil guy and eggs. There's a good shop downtown and I thought we needed a big beer. Tom started the nil guy in the pan, finished it in the oven while he cooked the eggs. I asked if, it, if I could help and he told me that I was to sit there and have my beer. He fried four eggs and put two each on our plates. I despise overcooked meat, he said, pulling the steaks out of the oven. He placed them on a wooden board and sliced them thinly. Inside the flesh was almost purple, it was so rare. Can you do game red that can you do game that red? I asked. This nil guy you can. It's lean, but it can take it. He forked six cuts onto my plate, six more onto his, and placed the plates on the table. From the cabinet from the cabinet he took out small jars of pepper and salt. This is Himalayan salt. It tastes like salt, but my mom sent it to me from China. The pepper is just pepper. He got himself a beer, uncapped it, and stood drinking contentedly with a refrigerator door open. Don't wait for me. Try that meat. He sat down and broke the yolk of one egg with his fork. That's a good egg, objectively. It's important to know how to cook a good egg. I tried the nil guy, and it was as good as any steak I'd eaten. What do you think about that big, what do you think about that big antelope, Tom asked. My God, it's good. We sat eating for a while without talking. I hadn't eaten much in three days. The open windows in the kitchen let in both breeze and light. When I finished my meat, I went and got a second round from the cutting board. Get some good protein, said Tom. We'll try and walk miles and miles this afternoon. Miles and miles and no women to bother us. Won't that be a nice change? Tom finished his ale, set the heavy bottle on the table, and leaned back in his chair. I never asked about the fight last night. Did your friend win? I would have liked to go. He did. He always wins. I think he'll be lightweight champ eventually. Good, good. At least you have that to take home with you. That and those bruises. Yes, I said. And I got up and took our plates to the sink. Just leave them in there. Who's going to complain? Tom laughed. Do you have anything else to wear or, you need to borrow, or do you need to borrow boots? Tom lent me cowboy boots and a pair of boot-cut jeans. He wore a pair of camouflage pants that he explained were designed for hunting turkey. You don't need to hide from coyotes. Anyway, we'd shoot them from a great distance. We took the rest of the beer and arranged the bottles on ice in a cooler. What was left of the nil guy went into the cooler too with a bag of apples and we loaded the chest and the rifle into Tom's trunk. By then it was almost 4.30. We had a 
two hours drive each way. Tom had called his father and his father had called a friend who ranched cattle near Tule Lake, 90 miles to the east. We drove out on 50 through Fernley and Fallon and took a two-lane road from Stillwater out into the basin. We found the ranch house, parked, and went in to say hello to Rick Shelbourne. No one answered the door, so we stalked out into the dry pasture land toward the lake. On the horizon were the gray slopes of Mount Lincoln. Tom carried the rifle and I carried a bag with four of the beers, the Nilgai steak, a knife, a flashlight, and the cartridges. Tom wouldn't stop smiling now that we were out on the land. These beautiful creatures are just coming out, he said when we reached the top of a low bluff overlooking the lake. They mouse at dusk. I felt as lonely as I ever had standing there. The sun was setting. Everywhere was the sweet smell of drying manure. A herd of cattle grazed down on the plain, their hides almost the color of the dust. Get out those cartridges, Tom said. He sat down on a small rock and opened the breech of his rifle. You ever killed anything? No, I said. I thought of Maximiano Becerra, who's the fighter that Stan fought early, earlier in the book. No, I said. I thought of Maximiano Becerra then and wondered if he'd been released from the hospital. I resolved to call on him when I got back to town. I don't think I'll like it, I said. Well, you like fighting. This is just another way of dominating something, but in a more complete fashion. Is that why you like hunting? I like hunting because I grew up hunting. In fact, I despise killing things I won't eat. But it's, a, it's been a bad few days. I gave him the box and he took out a cartridge, slid it into the rifle and seated the bolt. What will you do about Catherine, I asked. She'll come home. I think she will. Don't you think? I don't know everything you did. I told her if she went home with that kid, I wouldn't let her back in the house. And when she did come home, I escorted her to our room to pack a bag. Pack a bag. I wasn't nasty. I was only consistent. That sounds reasonable. You don't sound at fault. Tom stood up and weighed the rifle in his hands. What about Angela? You haven't said a thing about her. Is she responsible for your face? Sure. Where is she now? She's going back to Sacramento, I guess. She might already be home. What did you think she'd do? I said she could come live with me. And what did she say? That she'd leave Stan if he lost last night. He won, of course. She's a smart girl. And gorgeous, said Tom. Hope you don't mind me saying it. He started off. We ought to go find a bone pile. I followed him down the hill. The light had faded further and I had to squint to see the ground distinctly. As we approached the lake, the strong stink of mud rose up from the marshes. We were looking for the spot where the coyotes ate. We would hunker down near their feeding ground if we found it and wait there for a bitch or a dog to drag up a rabbit. Then on our rise to the west, Tom saw an old male and pointed him out to me. He was maybe 200 yards off, standing, panting from a run, from a run his tongue out. His coat looked full for fall. I stood back as Tom knelt down and shouldered the rifle. My goodness, he looks fit, said Tom. What a good old dog. Tom fired, and the coyote spun, ran 30 feet in our direction, and expired. Tom ejected the shell, pocketed it, and took off in a jog toward the carcass. I walked behind him with the bag. Give me that knife, he said when we were standing by the body, and I found the knife for him. For the 15 minutes while he gutted and skinned it, I stood holding the flashlight so that he could see. We hiked back up the hill and reposed in the failed light watching the lake. Tom sat on the pelt and we opened two of the beers. I took out the nil guy. With the same knife he'd used to clean the coyote, he cut the steak in half and we rested, eating and drinking. With the sun almost gone and the wind picking up, it was quite cold. We'll leave this for Shelbourne. Tom patted the skin. Coyotes are a nuisance, so I'm sure he'll be thrilled. Later he said, I guess it's too dark to go looking for another one, but I'll stay here all night if you're determined. No, I said. I don't feel any pressing need. On the drive back, 
Somewhere near Fallon, way off on the plain, a grass fire was burning. I pulled off on the shoulder and Tom and I got out to look. We were too far away to hear the noise of either the flames or the men fighting them. At 11, when we were back at Tom's house, at 11, we were back at Tom's house. I'd missed my flight. Tom had to teach in the morning, but said he'd be damned if he was going to bed early just for work. Let's finish this IPA and maybe open some scotch. I have a bottle my father says tastes of lavender. I sat down in the living room to pull off my boots. One of Catherine's bracelets lay in a bowl of change and receipts on the coffee table. My phone lay beside the bowl. I hadn't taken it on the hunt. Robert had called and left a message. I listened to it sitting on the couch. Hey, Captain, he said on the recording. I'm sure you heard, but Becerra's dead. Apparently it was a brain hemorrhage. The guy who called Stan said his skull was fractured. I didn't listen to the rest. I went into the kitchen and opened the last beers while Tom went and found the scotch. Then we sat at the kitchen table, unchanged and unshowered, drinking the cool ale. I'll stay on the couch, I said, if that's okay. Get you a good blanket and pillow, said Tom. Try this scotch. He'd gotten two glasses and poured us each three fingers. I put my nose in the glass and I tried to smell for the lavender. It might have been there, faintly. I looked up at Tom. He was watching out the kitchen window, perhaps for Catherine to come home. It's just a chain of horrors, I said. I don't know about that, said Tom. Even if you retire after 50 fights undefeated, I said, you wake up in the middle of the night 30 years later wondering why some judge gave you a round you lost. You have no choice but to be, per you have no choice but to be perfect, and even if you somehow manage to be, the success will haunt you till you die. So that's the new book. Um, some sort of Q and A. I'm, we're also going to do a Q and A at the at the film screening, but um, we can also talk. We can talk about this book. We have a few minutes. Cool. Yeah. What time is it? It's uh, 1:40. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, I have a question about this book. So oh yeah. It's, it's, it's taking. Is it done? First of all. It's pretty much done. And it's taken you four years to. Yeah, more or less. Through it started as a series of articles I wrote about some local boxers in in Sacramento, and over time has become has become a novel that's totally it's totally I don't think a, a word exists from that original from the original articles, but it's th that's where it started, and uh, yeah, and this is what's it's it's almost there. I just did a, I just did a, a screenplay draft of it and changed some of the dialogue and changed some of the scenes. So I think I'm going to go back and revisit the, the book itself before I send it out to uh, for for consideration. Yeah. Any questions from the audience? The baseball story? Oh, um, well, the, well, it was a story about Matt Cain and then the Giants won the World Series. <laughs> I'm not. I think we can draw some conclusions from that. <laughs> oh no, that's it's just a that's just a standalone story, that was uh, in Monkey Bicycle, I guess. At some point, I think it got a Pushcart nomination, but it didn't win. I like that story. Yeah, um, it's called Brute. Brute, yeah. And I don't know when it'll be done. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know when and if it'll. I mean, it'll come out at some point. I, I'm sure, but I don't know yet. Yes, mother. <laughs> yes, there are. So there are books. My mom wants to point out that there are books for sale here. 
that are my book and that I will sign them for you if you would like to get a copy. Thanks, Mom. I'm sure Skylight thanks you also. <laughs> but I was also just wondering if you wanted to read a tiny bit from We're Getting On or talk about how it relates to the film we're going to see. Okay, well, I think almost everybody here knows that, but this book, which I didn't read from, called We're Getting On, was what we toured, what Miles and I toured from here up to Seattle uh, by bike back in 2010. Miles shot the documentary, and we've been cutting it for the last two years, and it's screening. So if you want to know more about this book, come next door to the Los Feliz 3, like right now, and we can... You can see the film that we've been working on for ages. Oh, also, we are showing a trailer from Eel, which is the film we shot in January. Uh, and scene is here and scene is in it, so it's great. <laughs> um, not that trailer, Mother. That's not a trailer. There never was a trailer. I'm sorry. But Bobby did write the music. <laughs> Robert, Robert Halverson. I'm on board. Any uh, any other questions before? I oh that's true. The new this edition is totally different in a sense. The original version, the original second edition of the book. The first edition was just this novella called We're Getting On, and the second edition was We're Getting On, um, and then three other pieces. One of them has been excised in, totally and will be a standalone thing eventually. And the other two have been reincorporated into the the initial, or the original text of the novella, so that it's actually it functions as a single functions as a single unit, and it is different. So if you have you know if you have read the the original stories or the original novella, this is the this is the this is the ideal this is the ideal text. Sometimes that ha like I've realized that this is like part of my process, but I'll write something and then I have to to force myself to keep working on it, I will put it out there and then get embarrassed. <laughs> and no, I'm not kidding. It's probably not the best way to go about it. I've tried not to do that with, with Brute. I've tried to, to get it ready before I send it out. But I feel, I feel that this is, this is the, it's the, it's the ideal, it's the ideal text. Um, uh, you must have heard something, because it's an outlier. The other ones fit in very, very organically. So now it's a now it's really a true standalone novella, and you know, this is this is a super limited edition version, by the way. And this is only like it says available first at Skylight Books, like literally printed on the cover. And this is that's the case. And also says now a minor motion picture, which is a great, a great plug. Okay, cool. All right, well, since since Miles since Miles and I are going to give a Q and A after the screening, I think we can we can end it there. I think I think Skylight provides them. It's one of their services. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.